0: You're listening to Out Loud and Live with J.C. Alvarez. NBA star player Jason Collins may have shaken the court when he announced that he was gay, but retired NFL defensive back Wade Davis led our team to a touchdown goal when he came out of the closet. After sustaining a knee injury that took him off the field, Davis put himself back in the game as a leading activist and LGBT role model. Settling ourselves into the dog pound, inside the popular health Kitchen Sports Bar Boxers H.K., Wade Davis and I relived some of his most famous plays. Here now is my interview with former NFLer and LGBT activist, Wade Davis. Wade Davis, retired NFL football player. Is that, is that fair? Does, is anyone really ever out of the game? Because um, we are just associate you as a footballer i think i've
1: transitioned into such a different career path that people um really see me as more of an advocate an activist writer speaker now and being an ex-nfl player definitely adds a certain level of cachet to it but um i definitely think that people see me as an ex-nfl player
0: definitely <laughs> and i'm actually proud of that well it gives you it, it certainly sports is is something that was part of your formative years, it, you know, it created the person, you it, it's the backbone of who you are as an Definitely. individual. It's what you'll always be known as. Um, and it's, and what's also interesting about that is that sports is not something that's often associated with our gay personas <laughs> as, as men. And here we are at Boxers HK, which is a gay sports bar, mm-hmm. uh, which I remember the first time I brought my brother to a gay sports bar, he was like, wow. Is your brother straight? He's straight. Okay. And he was like, oh, wow, you guys got... Gay sports bars and I'm like, Yeah, but people
1: here don't really watch sports that much.
0: <laughs> I've come here
1: before and um, I'm like, no one's watching the damn game. Like come on. But it I watch the place- Super
0: Bowl here. I've come here to watch the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, but I would say the majority of people who come here aren't here to watch Super Bowl. Like they're here to peek at the game and see you coming in the door. <laughs> Which I'm okay <laughs> uh, with that
0: too. Hey. As long as football is not on. It's a it's a social situation. Definitely. But um but speaking to that, uh, sports was of course instrumental in, in your growing up. Um were you just always turned on to the game? Was it was it all sports or just football?
1: Um, so when I was seven, I fell in love with the game of football. And football was one of those games that would just, like almost through osmosis, I just understood the, the game very well. I was drawn to it. Um, I was really just a track guy and a football player. I mean, I was a grass athlete. I wasn't someone who... Like basketball. Well, I tried to play basketball as a child, but I grew up in rural Louisiana, and it was really just dirt everywhere. So imagine trying to bounce a basketball on a dirt court. <laughs> you got dirt in your face and your mouth. You're like, I'm just gonna keep playing football. So um, it was just one of those games that I just really knew well. Like just, just inherently, just knew. I was like, wow, like this scene, this game seems so easy. Plus, I was a small kid. Like I'm not a big guy now. I think oftentimes when I go speak somewhere, like the first thing I say is. I get it, I'm not that big, yeah, I get it, um like but I did play, and I think people understand that in order to to be a good football player, you have to be highly intelligent, so it is it's, it's yes, like you have to have some skill as well, but in order for someone to be like myself who's five eleven one eighty who maybe five eleven one ninety five when I was playing, you really have to understand the the, the game well, but as a kid, I used to play um I would say like a fifteen on fifteen game in my backyard of a game actually that was called Smear the Queer. <laughs> Oh, um, yeah, it was very weird. Oh, it sounds uh, inappropriate. It's so inappropriate. And the idea behind Smear the Queer is that you have all these guys in this backyard, and sometimes girls, too, have one football. You throw it up in the air, and the queer is the one that has the guts to go pick up the football and get gang tackled. So actually, the queer was actually the most courageous guy in the, <laughs> in the bunch. So it was actually interesting that, that the game was called that, and I'm actually a gay man now. But when I was playing it, I didn't even have any association with being gay and being queer.
0: Right, you you were just a uh, were just a kid, you yeah, know, just with a the love of the game. Yeah, kind of um, I would imagine that that um, did you come from a big family? Were there other um, men in your family, other you know members of your family that, that liked the game as well that you you partaked in? in so the my game?
1: father was um, he says he was an athlete. I don't remember that he was a, he was a military <laughs> guy. My mother was pretty athletic. Um, I think she ran track in high school or whatever. But my family was really not a sports family. Mm-hmm. You know, I was really the first one that fell in love with the, with the sport and. and and kind of followed it, you know, all the way through. So my my family, like, we have an athlete in, in the family. Like my mother's mother is like like more of an educator. My my father's more of like a comic, like, and a chef now. So I would say that I was really the first one in my family that I can re- remember that really you know excelled in sports and really wanted to to make sports something that they spent a lot of time and invested
0: in. Mm. So all through your high school career, you played the game. Mm. Um, I would imagine that it paved your way for college.
1: It paid for college, definitely. Paid for college. Yeah. Um, it was funny because my mother used to always say, "I love this game because it's paying for your school." She could care less whether I was good at it or not. She was just like, "They're going to pay for you to go to college, play this sport." <laughs> and I rarely came in <laughs> to watch you play. Are you really that good? You know. So, yeah.
0: That's you know that must be amazing because it's sort of like uh, I would imagine you, you even though you are playing the game while you were in college, you had to maintain a certain GPA and. Mm-hmm. And um, and all you know the things that were necessary for you for to be successful in college, but um, that must be so such a unique experience to be going to school on a scholarship for something that you love.
1: It is unique because um, when I was in high school, my mother could care less about the fact that I wanted to play football. Mm. She used to say, "If you get below like a three point three, you're not gonna gonna play." And I was <laughs> like, "Really?" So like that was really an impetus. <laughs> for me to focus on school, too, but because my mother really didn't care that I, I was an athlete, like she was like, I don't even know what football is, I know you have it on TV all the time, it's annoying, you know, but when I got to, to college, she was like, look, they're paying for your school, you're going to keep your, your grades up, but also, I was, I wouldn't call myself a nerd, but I was someone who picked up things very easily, mm. so I remember in high school, a teacher of mine, like, she, she used to say, hey, if you just stop being a class clown." For a little bit, at some point I'll let you do your, your little skits for the for the class. If you just shut up for a little bit, because I used to love to tell jokes, and and whatnot. Actually,
0: something you got from your dad. Yeah,
1: I actually thought I was going to be a comic.
0: You know, I really <laughs> okay.
1: wanted because I thought I was really funny. I was like, you know, I could like I used to watch the, the show Sanford and Son religiously for hours. I've seen every episode at least twenty <laughs> times apiece. Um, but to to go to college under scholarship. Um, it puts a certain level of pressure on you because you, you know that, that that you've been given something that's so unique to so many different people, and a lot of, a lot of people actually resent you for the fact that mm. you're going to college on the scholarship and they're pay, and they're having to pay for it. Um, so I and also as an athlete, like I had a seven o'clock class every day of my college career. You know, so I was done by 11, 30, 12 because I had to you know right. go to a study hall, go to practice, go to go to the gym. So it actually sets up a certain structure you so right right now I'm a very I would say a regimented person I wake up every day at around six o'clock you know I I go to the gym I do this like I'm a very scheduled type of guy so for me to be late somewhere is unheard of because I'm used to having to be on time so I think as an athlete it's it's really given me um, a good foundation you know about how to exist in the world I think that oftentimes athletes
0: kind of thrive in a business setting because of that foundation that foundation of course and that dedication to the sport led to a career in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, you played various for various teams, both both um, I guess on the on the national scene and also in, in, v- in yeah in, in yeah. Europe as well. Which um, that is something that's for the American market. It's not as as common to no. know that there's. Uh, what is the difference as far as like the NFLs in in? So I would consider cross-
1: NFL Europe kind of like the minor leagues of the okay. NFL, whereas a team allocate you to a a Europe team, it was also a way that that the NFL could really, you know, brand, brand itself and also expand, you know, its, its market. So I was, I was in two teams. I was in Berlin um, and I was over there for, I want to say 13 weeks and we actually won an NFL Europe championship. Mm -hmm. So I got to see the the entire world for free and to get paid doing it. So like I, I visited Amsterdam and London and, and Frankfurt and, Dusseldorf and Berlin and um, Spain—all these—all these. All these um, While playing races.
0: against teams from all of these places.
1: Well, so actually every team is an has, I would say ninety percent American players. Okay. So you're playing against other guys that are in the NFL as well, who are just like myself, who are journeymen, who are guys at the bottom of the roster, who, mm-hmm. who are trying to get film to get better. Yeah. And then the interesting part about NFL for Europe was the second team I was in Barcelona, Spain, in a city called Sitges. You know, I'm tribute, you. Do you
0: know what Seaches is? I, it sounds familiar, but it's, it's you're the telling the me it's second highest I know it's gay a... populated
1: place in the world. Oh, okay. So I'm imagine sorry. being a closeted gay male in Seaches trying to focus on playing a game of football, knowing that I'm excited to see all these men in speedos in the water. <laughs> you know, I remember my, my the very first day in Seaches. we were on the on the beach in the water. It was freezing, and this guy walks past in a yellow speedo, and and, and I'm thinking to myself, God is punishing me. Because I cannot get out of the water.
0: Or telling you, hey, Wade, look. I, don't, I don't know what he was telling me, but um, Wade,
1: look <laughs> over there. I looked over there, and I tell you, I couldn't leave the water for a while. <laughs> honestly, but leave I cannot get out of the water for a while. You
0: know. <laughs> now, um, you know. The, the, thank you for the segue. Um, I would imagine that, you know, you're, you're so focused on your game and so focused on the on the sport that really. Your sexual exploration, um, as a gay man, that must have almost like taken a back seat in sorts.
1: It did, um, but to be fair to myself, it was, it was, it was kind of what I would have did. I think if even if I was heterosexual, maybe not to that extent, but because I wanted, you know, I was so thrilled that I was in the NFL that I didn't want any anything to come in in between me making it. No distractions. Yeah, you you know, I went to a small school. You know, I wasn't the biggest of guys in the world, so I understand. So I understood rather you know, that I was a long shot. So in some ways, not having a partner, not, you know, having the distractions of, you know, of a girlfriend mm-hmm, in a way mm-hmm. helped, but it also hindered me in a way too, because I couldn't live in my authentic self. So it, w- it was kind of a double-edged sword, you know, whereas, hey, I can focus on sports, I don't have to worry about a girlfriend, but I want a boyfriend, I want to kiss a guy, I want to do all these things, and I couldn't as well. So it was positives and negatives. in, right. in, in, in on both sides.
0: So during your career, uh, you played defensive back, Mm -hmm. Um, there is, there lies a double-edged sword because now you're sort of concerned about how your teammates are going to perceive you as a gay man, are they going to perceive you differently, are they going to ostracize you, are you going to lose your position on the team? Um, That pressure alone, how were you able to like focus on, on just being your authentic self like you say?
1: I think um, because I had been in the closet since when I was 10th or 11th grade, I was able to compartmentalize that part of my life as, as well as I think most people can. You yeah. know, um, I think as an athlete, like you train your, yourself to be in that moment, to be a football player yeah. at, at that time. Um, and in some ways, when I was on the football field in the weight room with my teammates was kind of the safest place because I wasn't
0: alone, I had all these distractions, so I didn't think as much. Distractions or more focus on the job at hand, which is? It was a mixture of both,
1: you know, because when when you're with your buddies and you're laughing, you're having a great time, like, you're not thinking about the fact that you're this closeted person, you know, because you're really enjoying it. And when you're on the football field, like, you're doing something that you love more than almost anything else in the entire world, so you're not thinking about that as well. When I was in my room, in my hotel room, or my apartment, all by myself, that's when you can run from the idea that hey you you you're living this this double life you know honestly
0: so yeah, you can't run from yourself
1: you can't you know so for me like I want to be around my my friends as much as possible I never wanted to be alone because then I was like oh god you know I have to watch TV and I see this attractive guy on TV and, and I think about man how, would, how nice would it would it be I remember I used to go home and like rent all these gay movies you know or just watch Will and Grace just to have some some um, understanding of what it would like to be gay, but, but also some connection to the gay world.
0: At this point, had you accepted that you were a homosexual? Because it's, they're, they're, um, I think that that's one of the, the greater parts of your story um, is that I get the impression that you always just accepted that you were gay. When did you realize and when did you have your first sort of like intimate um, connection with, with another man?
1: So I realized I was gay, I want to say in 10th grade. Mm-hmm. I probably accepted that I was gay Sophomore year in college, mm. um, I remember funny story. My first year, in, my second year in college, it was, a, it was an English class. This guy walks in. I think his name is Eric. Let's call him Eric. And he walks <laughs> in class, and I go, "Oh my god, he's so hot!" I mean, he had this long hair.
0: <laughs> and you said it really loud. No, no, hell
1: no. But he was like a geek. But I mm. have this affinity for kind of like geeky guys, right? He had like these geeky glasses on, but he was just adorable. <laughs> and every day, I would strategically sit closer and closer and closer to <laughs> him. I mean, for the first week, it was like two rows back and then one row back and then one seat over and then right next to him. So, and I remember like saying to him one day, I was like, hi, and he was like, what's up? And I was like, hi, and he's like, what's up? I was like, hi, and he's like, are you all right? I was like, yeah, he's like, aren't you that football guy? I was like, yes, he knows who I am. And I go, yeah, I'm that guy. And he goes, why are you talking to me? Mm. And I was like, shit, like I thought being an athlete would help me here, but it didn't. But as all good stalkers are, I was pers- persistent. <laughs> so I showed up every day early so I could sit by, the, by this guy. Um, and then I found out that he worked at 7-Eleven.
0: Oh, oh, you the, really, you the really played shift. the stalker, didn't you? Oh my God, I
1: was, this guy, was, I was obsessed with him. He was the first gay person I ever really thought and knew and could talk to. Mm. And he worked the overnight shift at 7-Eleven. So I would literally like show up at midnight every night and talk to him and talk to him. And he, he was such a great person that he would let me ask almost any question I wanted to. And he never questioned me. He never said, why are you asking me these questions? You know? he, I think he knew who I was, and he knew I needed that opportunity to talk to him. And he was the first person I ever kissed. And I, I remember kissing him for the first time. I was like, man, his beard hurts. Like no one ever told me the guy's beards hurts <laughs> so bad. Um, Dad, why didn't you say so? Exactly, you know. Like I was actually having that talk with some buddies of mine saying that young gay men would actually have to ask their mother for advice. <laughs> it's true. You know, because you can't actually dad was like to kiss a guy. Yeah. You know Dad doesn't know. You know, so Unless you know,
0: experimented in college. Uh,
1: exactly, exactly. That's a whole different <laughs> conversation. That's a whole you don't want to know. Exactly. Um, but my first experience with a guy was, was with him and um to for long story short, we took a trip up in up in the mountains where we were gonna go fishing. I found out he liked to go fishing. I kept looking at him in the car. He kept asking me why I'm looking at him. I said, Hey I wanna kiss you pull over on the side of the road, he kisses me, his beard hurts like hell, but I go in for seconds, I go in for third, we do a little bit bit more, I freak out. Mm. I say, take me home, take me home. He takes me home, I never speak to him again. Mm. Not because I didn't enjoy myself, but because he made it real. Like, he made it the first time, and it was no longer I could say to myself, I didn't like guys, I wasn't gay. Like, he made it, he cemented it in, in my mind that I was a gay man, and I accepted it to a certain extent. Um, it was validated. It was validated, yes. Um, and it scared me, um, because I didn't, I didn't know what my life would look like in the future as a gay man, but um, that was really the first time I started to accept it.
0: Stay tuned, I've got much more of my interview with retired NFLer Wade Davis. And check out Boxers HK in the Heart of Hell's Kitchen, located at 742 9th Avenue on the corner of 50th. Go to BoxersNYC.com for more information. Late Night has a new game in town, Overnight Happy Hour, 2 for 1 drink specials Monday through Wednesday, 11pm to close, only at Boxers HK in New York City. Out Loud and Live is now also available as a podcast on iTunes. Send us your questions or comments to ThrillSeekerHQ at AOL.com. This is JC Alvarez, and you've been listening to Out Loud and Live. This is a ThrillSeeker HQ presentation. Get in the HQ. Go to www.thrillseekerhq.com.